0: Uh, but this morning we will, um, I'm going to read uh, verses 14 to 25 of Exodus 7. So we'll read the first plague, um, and uh, and you should probably know also um, that, that really the Bible refers to them as signs and wonders, not really plagues. Um, that's kind of how... Um, the, the, the heading, I guess, that we've given it, uh, but the Bible really speaks of them uh, as signs and wonders, and you will see why uh, in just a little bit. So Exodus 7, beginning in verse, verse 14, uh, it's our practice to stand uh, when we read God's word. So if you're able, uh, would you please stand with me? Hear God's word. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. The fish in the Nile shall die, the Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt over the, their rivers, their canals, their ponds, and all their pools of water, so that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in the vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. In the sight of Pharaoh and in the, ser- and, and in the sight of his servants, he lifted up the staff and struck the water in the Nile and all the water in the Nile turned to blood and the fish in the Nile died and the Nile stank so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. It was blood throughout all the land of Egypt, but the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned and went into his house and he did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the Nile. Seven days, seven full days passed after the Lord struck the Nile. The grass withers, flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Uh, We pray, O Holy Spirit, that you would be at work. Uh, You uh, inspired the writing of these words. You inspired the very words themselves. You have preserved them for thousands of years, for us, and so we pray that you would be at work in them and through them, by them, in our own hearts. Use it to conform us into, into the image of Christ. We pray in His name and for His sake. Amen. You may be seated. Um, I should I should point out too. I mean, even though it's just a two point outline, um, that I stole the outline. I, I robbed it, pillaged, plundered. Uh, took it straight out of a book by um, Ross Blackburn, I think is his name. Um, but uh, it's a great book, by the way. Um, if you're interested, see me afterwards. Um, I don't know if you've if you've I don't know if you've ever seen Guardians of the Galaxy. you Ever watched the Guardians of the Galaxy movies? Um, there's this there's this odd character in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. He's a he's a tree. Or a twig or a stick. He, he, he's a sapling. He's really all sorts of things at some point or another during the course of these movies. So if you, if you see, are there two of them? I don't even know how many there are anymore. Um, I, keep, I keep arguing all the Avengers movies are exactly the same. They're all, you just change the name and, you know, whatever. Uh, but this tree, his name is Groot. And, and all he can say is, I am Groot. In fact, we learn from, from the raccoon, his raccoon friend, this is what his friend tells us. He don't know talking good like you and me, so his vocabulistics is limited to I and am and Groot exclusively in that order. And what's funny is when, when you watch this movie, all he can say is I am Groot, but he rarely ever means I am Groot. What what he means is things like, well, that's better than 11%. So one time he says, I am Groot. And what he really means is, well, 12 is better than 11. Th- there's, there's one time where he says, I am Groot, basically back to back. And, and the first time he means, no, we have to save them. And the second time he means, because they're really our only friends. They're the only friends we've actually got. So Groot says, I am Groot. But he doesn't always mean... I am Groot. The reality is we read through this Exodus account and what we find is God saying, I am Yahweh. And he doesn't really always mean simply I am Yahweh. This is where I remind you, and and you can get annoyed with me if you like. Uh, I did this at, at Decatur last week when I preached down there. And I told them that I do this here all the time. And y'all may get frustrated, and I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. When you read in your English Bibles, all capital L-O-R-D, that's the English translator's way of telling us that we're reading the Hebrew word Yahweh. It's not the same word. It's a completely different Hebrew word than all lowercase L-O-R-D. That's Adonai. That's a, a different word completely. And so we find in this uh, through, well, throughout the book of Exodus, but in the plague accounts, we find God saying, I am Yahweh. But he doesn't always simply mean, I am Yahweh. The reality is there's, there's a lot to the book of Exodus. I've mentioned this before as well. There's a lot to the book of Exodus where really the aim of the book is to answer one question. It's a question that Moses asks when he's faced with the burning bush. It's a question that Pharaoh asks when Moses first comes and demands that that you let Yahweh's people go. It's this question. Who is Yahweh? Who is the Lord? And in many ways, the aim of the book of Exodus is to answer that question. So it makes perfect sense as we're reading through the plagues that God would say I am Yahweh and what he really means is more than just a statement of fact that I am Yahweh. And so first we find that I am Yahweh means that God is supreme over creation. And we know this already. Uh, In fact, two weeks ago, um, we, we actually examined the doctrine of God's sovereignty over everything. Um, and that sermon may not even be on the website cause that was right before GA. I bet it's not there. Um, we'll fix that. Um, I'll have my admin solve that for us, uh, today or tomorrow. Um, but so we know, we know that God is sovereign over all of creation But we watch it unfold in very particular, specific, intentional ways throughout these plagues. Look at verse 20 of chapter 7. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded in the sight of Pharaoh. By the way, you um, make sure you have your Bible handy. You're going to have to do some flipping. Um, Since we're doing nine plagues, they're not all on one piece of paper. You're going to have to flip around. In fact, we're going to go beyond the Old Testament uh, before it's all said and done. Moses and Aaron did, verse 20, as the Lord commanded in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, he lifted up his staff, struck the Nile, and all the water in the Nile turned to blood. God's servants, at God's command, according to God's instructions, turned the Nile River into blood. Or look in chapter 8. Look at verse 16. Uh, Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your staff, strike the dust of the earth, so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. Again, the staff, the hitting, the dust that flies up apparently turns into gnats imagine watching that or look at verses 8 and 9 of chapter 9 again there's there's dust or, or soot involved verses uh, 8 and 9 and the lord this is the sixth plague the lord said to moses and Aaron take handfuls of soot from the kiln and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh and it shall become fine dust over all the land of Egypt and become boils breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. Now, I don't know exactly how much science you know. So I really don't want to talk down. I don't want to sound like a, a science authority up here. But, so I, I want to be sensitive. But, but let me just make sure Dust doesn't become gnats in a moment. You, you know that's not normal, right? I mean, we understand that we go outside and you kick the dust and, and you know, you're walking down a dirt road and, and you're kind of shuffling your feet. You're tired. You've been on a hike all day and, and you're shuffling down this dirt road. And, and as you kick all the dust that pops up, it doesn't all become that. That's not normal. And what we see is God over and over again intervening in the normal, everyday events of creation to make His will happen. To bring His purposes to bear. The message of Exodus is clear. Yahweh, the Lord, is exercising His right, His power, His authority Over all of creation. We know this. We know he has the power and the authority. To turn dust into gnats if he so desires. To turn a river into blood if he so desires. Or to turn dust into boils on skin. It's his creation. He by simply speaking made the stars in the heavens. By simply speaking, there were cattle on the earth. By simply speaking, there are, are frogs along the river and fish in the river. So of course, he has the right to change the things that he made. He has the, the power and authority over them. He causes these Created things to be a a plague to Egypt. To be signs and wonders of His power. But it's not just changing the things He made. Notice, look at verses 22 and 23 of chapter 8. Not only does does, does He change the creation into plagues, He then puts boundaries around them. Uh, verses 22 and 23, But on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen, that's where the, the Israelites are, where my people dwell, so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall happen. How, how do you, how do you keep flies from Madison County from showing up in Limestone County? Like there's no wall, there's no fence, there's no boundary, there's no big giant bug zapper hanging right there on county line road to keep their flies on their side and our flies on our side, or better for us not to have any. God actually sets up a boundary between all of Egypt and Goshen County. If you'll grant me that freedom, Uh, the land of Goshen where his people are. Perhaps you've heard, perhaps you've said, uh, perhaps you've heard, you know, there are always objections, right? You know that, that by our nature, Romans one tells us we're truth suppressors. Um, We will do everything we can to to deny the truth left to our own sinful, um, rebellious self. Uh, We uh, are, by nature, truth suppressors. There are are people out there who will look to make a regular sort of ordinary scientific argument for, well, the Nile turned red because it, it did that anyway. Like, there were some times when that actually happened. And there's Egyptian literature that tells us that, that sometimes the Nile would turn red, the sediment would get stirred up, and it gave it this sort of red look. And so it just looked like blood. But Pharaoh's reaction, the magician's reaction, the people's reaction is not, well, that's normal. Their reaction is, how come all our drinking water has gone? Their reaction is, how come all our food is dying? Besides... If they're used to, sediment turning the Nile red, watching the Nile turn red because of sediment is going to be a process. It doesn't happen in a moment, but here it happens in an instant. And so we respond to people who question the miraculous uh, by pointing out that even the very people observing these events, if this was natural, they don't react like people who are used to this. They react like people who are shocked, scared, and surprised. And the same could be said for the the frogs, right? Well, of course, the frogs suddenly ended up all over the land. That's the second plague, by the way. I have a I have a fun I have a fun way of kind of remembering the order of the plagues. Um, But uh, of course the frogs come up and the waters just turn to blood. They can't live in the Nile. They have to come up on land. But there's a seven-day gap between striking the Nile and the frogs, the plague of frogs. There's this this long gap there. The people of Egypt don't respond like people seeing a natural event. And as as you read through these plagues, the other thing you'll notice is that God works in every sphere of creation. Land, water, sky, earth, animals, humans, the sun, the fish, the sea, the water. He works in every sphere of His creation. Well, notice... Chapter 7, verse 17, we hear God say, I am Yahweh. Chapter 7, verse 17, thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am Yahweh. Chapter 8, verse 22. But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen, where my people dwell, so that no swarm of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am Yahweh. Do you hear? He, He says, I am Yahweh, but he doesn't mean I am Yahweh. He means I am supreme over all of creation. What he means is I am so controlling and orchestrating these events, which are not natural. They are miraculous. They are because my hand is is invading your world to make these things happen. He says, I am Yahweh, but he means all that when he says it. I am Yahweh means that God is supreme over creation. Second, I am Yahweh means God is supreme over the gods of this world. We do not have the time, uh, nor would we really have the interest in examining every single plague. All nine of the, the first nine plagues to make this comparison. But what we find is that every single one of them is an attack on Egypt's gods, of which they had dozens. I mean, multiple gods for some of these, each individual place. In many ways, the, the Nile River, Egypt exists because the Nile flows. That, that's not an overstatement. You, you look around Egypt and there's a lot about Egypt that's arid and dry, except it's beautifully inhabitable plants and because of the Nile River. And so they worshipped the Nile in many ways as sort of the creator and sustainer of, of Egypt. Egypt. They even have gods for the Nile itself. The Egyptian god Hopi represents, that's H-A-P-I. That'll matter. That's why he's not the god of the frogs, right? Because it's not spelled that kind of Hopi. But Hopi represents the Nile. He gives life and abundance to the Egyptians, but when the river turns to blood and the fish start to die and the frogs have to get out and it starts to stink and 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 it's very it's not the very thing they worship Hopi for. They have to realize suddenly Hopi isn't really all that great. Suddenly Hopi really isn't all that powerful. Hopi was a sort of a sign of sustenance and and power and care for His people. a, A bearded male head with a woman's chest. And in many ways, God is showing the Egyptians, He's showing Pharaoh, He's showing their gods that there is no God but Yahweh. That Yahweh alone is the one true and living God. Take the second play. The, the Egyptian goddess Hecate, depicted as a, a female with a frog's head. She's married to Kanum, who's the creator god. and And supposedly, he would make people on his potter's wheel, and then she would breathe life into them to give them their breath and their life. And the frog was a sign of divine power. It represented... Fertility. Have you ever seen that um, "I Love Lucy" episode with the the chocolate factory? Lucy and Ethel go work in the chocolate factory, and the chocolate starts coming down the conveyor belt. And at first, everything's manageable. And suddenly, the chocolate goes faster than they can go. I, I feel a little like. Um, um, wait, what's, what's her name? I lost, Hecate. I feel a little like Hecate got suddenly overwhelmed with all of these frogs. Like suddenly there were just way too many of them. You, you might say, well, I mean, if she's supposed to be this fertility and divine power, then look, all these frogs is just evidence that she's kind of doing her job and doing it well. But in actuality, God overruns her. He overwhelms her with all of these frogs. And you have to, Almost picture her like Lucy and Ethel working in the chocolate factory trying to scramble to make it a more manageable volume. The fifth plague and livestock. There's bull cults all over Egypt. Isis, queen of the gods, is portrayed as having cow's horns. Apis was a sacred bull. Again, the fertility motif. My cousin has cows. My cousin has a a small-ish cow farm, uh, and he's half owner of a bull. And and what that means is not that he has half a bull. It means that he has a bull half the time and that it lives at his, his buddy's cattle farm the other half of the year and 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 they orchestrate it so that my cousin 's cows uh, aren 't having calves while he has his master 's golf stuff to do, right, so they just orchestrated that right, so the bull comes and, and lives on his farm for you know who knows how long and and suddenly, however many months later, all of his cows are giving birth to calves it 's this picture of of great potential and life-giving power. That's kind of how bulls are and they're attacked by, these, by this plague. And what you see is that life really isn't theirs to give. The bull doesn't give life. Yahweh opens the womb. Yahweh is the one who grants life to his people. In fact, look at Exodus chapter 12. I know this is technically beyond um, uh, where uh, our sermon text. But chapter, Exodus chapter 12 and verse 12. For I will pass through the land. This is God speaking. I will pass through the land of Egypt, both man and beast. Oh, wait, I skipped ahead. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. And I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am Yahweh. He says I am Yahweh, but what he really means is these other gods that you worship, they aren't gods at all. They're created in your image for that matter. And so the writer of Exodus finally connects Moses, finally connects the plagues And this tenth and final plague to Yahweh's judgment on Egypt. Not only is he showing himself to be greater than supreme over all of creation. He's showing himself to be supreme over the gods of this world. Now, perhaps what you're thinking is, but we don't worship bulls. We don't worship rivers. We certainly don't worship frogs. So what on earth does this have to do with us? What does, what does this have to do with us living in the 21st century where we aren't worshiping these same idols? But our world is no less full of false gods. In fact, in our world, the self has become the god of the day. Uh, The self is the one who gets to determine what I think and who I am and what I am. And then you have to call me by what I determine myself to be. And no one is allowed to question that. There's no objective standard anymore. I am my own standard. And so the self has become the new God. We also have lesser gods. Our salary, our retirement account our job, our friends, the number of Instagram followers that we have, our social status, Mother Earth, the environment, take your pick. There are all sorts of false gods in the world today, all sorts of idols that we might worship. This passage reminds us that God is supreme over all of them. This passage reminds us what we're going to what we're going to learn explicitly and, and more clearly in Exodus 20, that we should have no other gods but him. He's supreme over all other religions, all other would be gods. How do we apply this passage to us today? Let me make uh, three applications. The first simple we should remember that God is supreme over all of creation. We we made that point a couple of weeks ago. The rain we were battling an hour or two ago comes from God's hand. The snow that falls or frustratingly doesn't fall comes or not from God's hand. The weather, the tornadoes that pass through here they're all His. God is no less supreme over all of creation than He is in Exodus 7 through 9. Second, God is supreme over the gods of this world, no matter who or what they are. There are times in your life when you watch the news or you listen to reports or you hear people talking. Or you see the laws that come down from whatever ruler or the behavior from whatever ruler or any number of things and you start to wonder. Is there any chance the church really will survive? Is there is there a chance that the church can be destroyed? Is there really a chance that, that we might Lose? And you're reminded all over again that Jesus said, I will build my church, and the very gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Just as God spares and delivers and provides for his own people in Exodus 7 through 9, throughout all of these plagues, he does the same today. Don't let the news don't let the loud vocal objectors or government's laws or whatever angry neighbors make you fear that god could lose because god cannot lose god will not lose and so this passage calls us to be strengthened in our faith and trust in the supremacy of yahweh over not just creation, but over the false idols of the world around us. A third and final application. These passage, this this passage or these passages, point us to another event, uh, another plague event, if you will, uh, when God finally and fully and completely shows Himself to be supreme over the idols of this world. Turn with me to X, I mean to Revelation sixteen. Revelation chapter sixteen, beginning in verse one. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth and harmful and painful sores. I've heard that before. Came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea and it became like the blood of a corpse. I've heard that before. And every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the water say, Just are are you, O Holy One, who is and who was. And you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. Plunged into darkness. Verse 10. In other words, the plagues in Egypt, the the many judgments that God pours out on Egypt who stands to represent anyone and everyone who would want God and his people destroyed, the seed of the serpent from Genesis 3, those many judgments that he pours out on Egypt in Exodus are just like the non many, the larger, greater scale judgments, he passes he pours out on those who oppose Christ and His church. These plagues aren't limited to one nation. These plagues aren't limited to, to one nationality, to to just Egypt. They'll be poured out on any and all, all the nations of this world who oppose God and his people they will one day face God's wrath. He will not be mocked. He will not be replaced. And He will once again show Himself to be supreme over creation and over the gods of this world. How then do you escape that? Look to Jesus. It's only trusting in Christ and Him alone that frees us from the judgment of Revelation 16. It's looking to Him who lived a holy and righteous life that we were supposed to live and could not and did not and wouldn't even want to. Who suffered and bled and died the death that we deserve for our cosmic treason. Who rose again and defeated death itself that we by faith in Him might live with Him. You look to Jesus. And just as in the Exodus account, trusting in God as your provider and deliverer, freed his people from slavery and bondage in Egypt and brought them to the promised land. so to you looking to Christ as your redeemer, your savior, your deliverer, he will set you on the promised land. Let's pray together. Our God and our King, we thank You for this promise of deliverance, this sure and certain promise that our feet will one day be set on Canaan's shore, as we just sang a few minutes ago. Would You use our reading and, and understanding of the Exodus events, the plagues in the book of Exodus, to strengthen our faith? to draw us to look to Christ, to see that you are still supreme over all of creation and you are still supreme over all the false idols of this world. Would you strengthen our faith? And would you equip us to gather others as we head towards Canaan's happy shore? We pray all of this in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen.